And a warm welcome to Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. How are you doing this Tuesday? It's a grim one in the northwest. It's cats and dogs outside, but it's warm in here. Thanks for finding me, the 28th of September 2021. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. And as usual, if you'd like to chat with me this evening, you can do so through the website richieallen.co.uk. Comment live at the top of the page. I'm looking forward to hearing from you this evening. Now, coming up a bit later on in the programme, Charlie Robinson joins me. It's been been a long time since Charlie was on. He's the man uh, who presents the Macro Aggressions podcast on the iconic platform. He's also an author. You might remember The Octopus of Global Control. He's got a brand new book out. We're going to talk about that in hour two. Before that, Johan Tengra will be live from India. Got in touch with him last week after Dr. Paul Craig Roberts was on this programme. And Paul made the comment that the Indian government was dealing with the threat of COVID by using ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Paul was right, but he was also not right. Things have changed there. Johan Tengra will be on with me. He's an excellent journalist. He's been, uh, again, he was on one time with me. It's been some time since that time. Am I making any sense? I don't think I am. I'm not the best, to be honest. I'm not in the best. I'm not feeling well at all. But I'm not going to whinge about it because you don't come here to be whinged at by me. But I'm fairly under the weather and deteriorating. Some sort of a lurgy has landed right smack on my face. It's been building for a few days, to be honest. And I'm not... uh, But I'm okay. I'm okay now. I'll be okay for the next couple of hours. And I'll man up. You're not supposed to say that anymore. I'll man up. That's what I'll do. So that's why I was out yesterday. The voice was really bad this time yesterday afternoon. It's been wavering for a few days. Occupational hazard. But like I said, I've got a bit of a bug, to say the least. It's terrain theory. Is it? Is it? Is it germ theory? I don't know. Hey, look, we'll, we'll start with this today. It has arrived for our Scottish brothers and sisters. Vaccine passports, COVID certification has arrived. People going to nightclubs and to other large events will need to prove they've had two doses of a jab from five o'clock in the morning this coming Friday. Here is Nicola Sturgeon, Scotland's First Minister to you and to me. The certification scheme will apply, as previously indicated, to late-night venues open after midnight with alcohol, music and dancing, to live indoor unseated events of more than 500 people, to live outdoor unseated events of more than 4,000 people and to any event of more than 10,000 people. This means that once the scheme starts, anyone over the age of 18 who wants to go to a large event or to a late night venue will be required to provide evidence that they are fully vaccinated or evidence that they are exempt. To facilitate this, the NHS COVID status app will go live on Thursday. It will provide a digital record of a user's vaccination status, including a QR code for each vaccination a person has received. It is already possible for any of us, of course, to request a paper copy of our vaccination record or to download a PDF from the NHS Inform website. 
Presiding officer, we have continued to engage with businesses as we have developed the detail of the certification scheme. I understand that many businesses have concerns about certification. However, I'm very grateful to all those that have nevertheless engaged in these discussions so constructively. Yeah, Sturgeon likes her tyranny with lashings of iron brew and haggis. You can let out your inner Gerald Salente if you like. It's dreadful stuff now. She did say, Sturgeon, there would be a grace period until the 18th of October. So why the, while this comes in on Friday morning, there will be a grace period. There won't be any enforcement until October 18th to give businesses more of a chance to test, to adapt and to build confidence in the arrangements going forward. But you heard somebody in the UK, in Scotland, a woman, a politician, saying from now on in, you haven't jabs, you can't show you've been jabbed, well, you're not going here, you're not going there, and you won't be allowed in over there either. Yes. OK, uh, flu is making a comeback. We've been told this several times by, by various people in recent weeks and months. So is the common cold and a few other infections that disappeared off the face of the earth last year because of mask wearing and social distancing and working from home because apparently wearing the masks and staying home killed everything except COVID, it seems. So, with never-ending COVID, the Delta variant, and now with everything else coming back this winter too, how can you tell which is which? How can you tell which is which? BBC Radio 5 Live presenter Rachel Burden wanted to find out how to differentiate between COVID and the cold. She asked a GP to help her out. So, it's time to play Cold or Covid. I wish I had a theme tune, although I'm not sure which one would be suitable. Dr Fari Ahmed is a GP in Cheshire. How are you, Fari? I've got the theme tune covered, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> Hi, Rachel, I'm well. How are you ready yourself? to play? Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just get on with it and play. How do we know the difference between cold and the Covid and coughs and the Covid? Well, here we go. I've got the theme tune Always have it handy, just in case you never know. Here we go. So, look, let's go through some of the symptoms. And you can say whether it's cold, COVID or both. So, number one, a cough. So, that is one of the classic three for COVID, but it can also be both. <laughs> Helpful. What about a temperature? So, again, that's the COVID classic, but it could also be both. Right, so a cough and temperature can be cold, but they can also be COVID. Do, do, you, do you have a particularly spiked temperature if you've got COVID? Does it come on very quickly? Are there any kind of indicators that this might be a different sort of raised temperature? There's no real evidence one way or another. Um, you know, and certainly now we're hitting flu season as well, and that's another reason for getting, you know, a, a spiked temperature. So... Yes, it's become a bit more confusing. What a bit more confusing. You can't tell the difference between cold, flu, spike temperature because flu is coming back, COVID, it's all the same really. About runny nose, cold or COVID? So before people were vaccinated, I would have said a runny nose was not COVID. But I think what we're seeing now is that certainly people, especially people who've had both jabs, can present with uh, some of those as a symptom. Did you understand any of that? Because that sounded a bit serious to me, what you just said there. People were vaccinated, I would have said a runny nose was not COVID. Before people were vaccinated, I would have said that a runny nose wasn't COVID, she says. Cold or COVID? 
So before people were vaccinated, I would have said a runny nose was not COVID. But I think what we're seeing now is that certainly people, especially people who've had both jabs, can present with uh, some of those as a symptom. This is astounding. And of course, the presenter is as useless as tits on a bull. Useless. Hang on a second there, Dr. Fari Khan or whatever your name is. Did you just say that it would have runny nose previously would have been a cold, but now... So many people are jabbed. Now people who have had both jabs, if they have a runny nose, it might be COVID. I'm going to play that again because that's exactly what she said. And this is not funny, really. I don't think so. So before people were vaccinated, I would have said a runny nose was not COVID. But I think what we're seeing now is that certainly people, especially people who have had both jabs, can present with uh, some of those as a symptom. This is astounding. Most people now. Mm. Um, what about sore throat? So again, sore throat is one of those that's not the classic three. Um, but we are seeing it uh, in people who are presenting uh, with COVID. So some people are starting off with a sore throat. Uh, I can see where we're going with all of this. <laughs> it's going to be very hard to separate the two. It's going to be very hard to separate them. Two. Fatigue, feeling generally a bit tired. So again, that's another one of those that, um, you know, people who've had two jabs can present with. But, you know, again, it's quite common with flu and quite common with some of the other viruses. Um, so, yes. <laughs> so, people who've had two jabs can present with fatigue, she says. Wow. We're going with all of this. It's going to be very hard to separate the two. Fatigue, feeling generally a bit tired. Right. So, again, that's another one of those that, um, you know, people who've had two jabs can present with but you know again it's quite common with flu and quite common with some of the other viruses um so yes <laughs> it's, it's not helping much is this it's not helping at all <laughs> well no but it is though. no but it does at least by talking about it clarify it in our minds a bit uh, to be on the lookout for both headache headache she's going to say i think headache what about that so headache, again, is something that's not one of the classic three for COVID, but it is something that people who've had, you know, again, their jabs, we, we are seeing more of it. Even people who've not had jabs, they often present with headache. And what She said on three occasions there that people who've had their jabs presenting with runny noses and fatigue and headaches. What about body aches and shivers? Yeah, so they are often, again, you know, again, they fall into that same category. It could be COVID or it could be another virus. Um, so often if you're having those, it's usually good to check and see if you have a temperature. Right, so I think we can conclude from that that it's virtually impossible to tell the difference <laughs> between a cold and COVID. And that's exactly the way they want it. And of course, there's a solution to this. We'll skip forward, I think, till the end. We'll get the solution. What do you do when you get some of these symptoms? As doctors, it can make things a lot trickier. Yeah. And now, you know, it's getting a bit colder, it's getting a bit wetter. People are going indoors more and we are seeing a lot more coughs, go. colds, sore throats again. Um, and the only way to really know is to get a PCR test done. Mm. Yeah. The only way to really know is get a PCR test done. And a PCR test will find COVID in a ham sandwich. So the chances are you've got a cold, but they've muddied the water so brilliantly, maybe not brilliantly, that you'll pop along to have your PCR tests and the chances are they tell you you've got COVID. Yeah. Wow. It's uh, 12 minutes past five. We'll leave that one there. That's about as bizarre an interview as I've heard for a long time. And I hear lots of interviews. Get the PCR test and you'll certainly have COVID, guess who's back in town? 
They sweep their mess under the carpet for our generation to clean up and solve. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. How dare you? Yes, the little bollocks is back. She's in Milan as a keynote speaker. Wait for it. Hang on, hang on. She's a keynote speaker at the Youth for Climate conference in Milan. Youth for Climate. She's the keynote speaker. And she had plenty to say for herself this morning. There is no planet B. There is no planet blah. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. What? This is not about some expensive, politically correct, green act of bunny-hugging or blah, blah, blah. Build back better. Blah, blah, blah. Green economy. Blah, blah, blah. Net zero by 25. 2050, blah, blah, blah. Net zero by 2050, blah, blah, blah. Net zero, blah, blah, blah. Climate neutral, blah, blah, blah. This is all we hear from our so-called leaders. Words, words that sound great, but so far has led to no action. Our hopes and dreams drown in their empty words and promises. Of course, we need constructive dialogue, but they've now had 30 years of blah, 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 and where has that led us? Do you know what? I wish that man-made climate change was real so that when that little bastard is drowning, I could stand on her fucking head, he says, and then thinks maybe he shouldn't have said, but no, 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 I, I said it. I stand by it 14 minutes past five. Speaking of this nonsense, there was a woman from Insulate Britain on the Julia Hartley Brewer show this morning. Uh, had a bit of a barney with Julia Hartley Brewer about the chaos on the roads. You'll know this group, Insulate Britain, wants the government to commit to spending um, enormous amounts of money to properly insulate the homes of everybody in the country so that we don't need to use so much natural gas to heat the homes in the winter because heating our homes is killing the planet. Julia Hartley Brewer challenged the uh, climate loony Fiona Atkinson this morning. If you claim that your concern is that people are living in cold homes, I'm telling you there's a very simple solution to that, which doesn't involve you sitting on a motorway stopping other people going about their daily lives. Why, why, are you, why are you not in favour of cheap, reliable energy? If Insulate Britain weren't sitting on the motorway now, I would not be here talking to you. I'm not in favour of cheap, what you call reliable energy. There's nothing reliable about overheating you're the not. planet. It is dangerous, and you're a climate denier, so you're not going to accept that. So there's, on this point, we have to disagree. Most well, of the I, world... I don't deny there's a climate, Fiona. And it's an emergency. That's Sir David King, the government's own advisor, saying we've got 10 years to sort that out. And he said in 2019, mm -hmm. we've got the IPCC saying the same thing. We've got the government's own climate committee. But yes. Julia, you, for some reason, decide that that's not, mm -hmm. that, that's not credible. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. 
Julia? If it, in, 2020, in 2029, when, when we're still saying another 10 years to sort this out, that I'm sure you'll be back on the show. OK, just finally, um, do you think you are going to, as a result of, the, of what you've been doing, your, your protests, do you think you're actually going to see more homes being insulated, more quickly paid for by taxpayers' money? Or do you think you're just going to put more and more people off your course? Well, I think there's, our methods are, I agree, absolutely awful and i wish to god we weren't being driven to that oh. but, I, I'm, but sadly because of people like yourself who are the gatekeepers yeah, i'm the problem i'm definitely i'm fiona i'm completely the problem uh-huh you are you are you are a problem because you're not telling the truth you're, you you well, i watched okay. the program where you deny the facts so if you know people out there mm -hmm. um please stop listening to julia because she denies <gasps> Emergency. Everybody, stop listening. Stop listening to this show. That's on. That is our new. Uh, that's our new slogan here at Talk Radio. Yeah, it's language unbecoming for a broadcaster. But look, the gloves are off now, right? These people are batshit crazy. These are lunatics. These people, they are They're genuinely insane, aren't they? I don't understand why Brewer doesn't take the opportunity to, rather than respond to the well, people shouldn't listen to your radio station and all that nonsense. Well, get stuck into the apocalyptic predictions that these people have made. Just get stuck into them and remind them there's no evidence that in 10, 15 or 20 years' time the planet will be uninhabitable, even if it does reach a mean temperature rise. It's an average temperature rise for the whole planet of 2.5 or 3 degrees. It's a lie. But for some reason, they never take the opportunity to go after these people. It's one of the reasons they don't come on this programme. One of the reasons. Because I'd be asking them for that evidence. Where's the evidence that we're going to see sea level rises? By the way, that we were supposed to have had 10 to 15 years ago, when you believed Al Gore, when he was spinning the same lies about sea level rises and cataclysmic, catastrophic weather events that we, we haven't witnessed. But they don't get, get stuck into them. I, I don't get it, but these people are crazy. And if you're paying attention, not that I expect you to be paying attention to it, to the Labour Party political, well, the, the Labour Party's conference in Brighton this week, um, this is all the rage now and is going to be all the rage. This is going to make the scam of the last 18 months, it's going to make it look like chicken feed when, when they start rolling out the solutions for this climate disaster which isn't happening. It's astonishing. Brewer did say one thing to her. We'll be speaking in 10 years' time and you'll be telling me in 10 years' time that the things you said would be happening now are not happening now, but they will be happening 10 years hence. Deranged, these, these people. There's an excellent article in The Telegraph on Saturday, I think. I can't remember who wrote it, but it's by one of their feature writers and it's about the insanity of this climate nonsense and the part that the current government, the Conservative Party government, is playing in advancing it. It is mad, isn't it? Nick Thomas Simmons, or Simons, is the Shadow Home Secretary. Every government post, I know I've said this before, but for some people it's language they don't understand. For every government minister or secretary of state, there is a shadow in the main opposition party. The Home Secretary is Priti Patel. She's responsible largely for policing in the country, anti-terrorism, all of that stuff, domestic stuff. Uh, her shadow is Nick Thomas Simmons. He was on BBC Radio 5 Live 
with Nicky Campbell this morning and the trans thing came up, no pun intended. It came up because on Sunday morning on the Mar Show, his leader, Keir Starmer, said that it is unhelpful and not right to say that only women have a cervix. You'll probably know that by now. You'll hear Nicky Campbell, the presenter, first, then you will hear the Shadow Home Secretary. You are somebody who's spoken of the epidemic of male violence. Not, this doesn't relate to it, but very, very much uh, women's rights. You've been, you know, you've done a lot on that. Let me ask you, is a woman with a penis a woman in every sense? Yes or no? Look, I mean, yes I mean, or no? Uh, look, the question you're asking me there is about... Is a transgender person a woman? The answer is uh, yes. In every but, sense. Look, look and, and this, and I'm sorry, but, but that is the answer. And I think that what really worries me... If you'd have said to me 20 years ago, if you'd have said to me 20 years ago, when I was in my pomp as a commercial radio producer, if you'd have said to me 20 years ago that we would be listening to this and that this would not be a parody, that this is not... Not the nine o'clock news. That this isn't a sketch show. That this is actually current affairs radio. A presenter is asking a bloke, do you believe that a man with a penis is a woman in every sense of the word? And the presenter is goading him. Because the presenter wants, the answer they want is yes, yes. A man is a woman in every sense of the word if he declares himself to be a woman. If you'd have said to me 20 years ago that this would be going on and that it wasn't satire or a sketch show, I, I would have said you were crazy. Excuse me about the, d this oh, okay, okay, that's the answer. Let me clear. We haven't got a lot of this. This is the, this is the follow-up question. Where you say that's the answer, all right. So clear this one up for us. Um, and this is the what you've done work on this. Should that woman with a penis have access to... Every place that... Uh... Listen to the presenter, Nikki Campbell. Should that woman with a penis... He's not advocating for real women, for genuine women and women's safety. This guy is acting for the trans lobby. Should that woman with a penis... This is the BBC now. <laughs> it's just... It's incredible, isn't it? All right, so clear this one up for us. Um, and this is the what you've done work on this. Should that woman with a penis have access to every place that uh, women access, domestic abuse shelters, changing rooms, the, prisons, yes or no, should that woman have access to all those places? The position should be the position that is in the Equality Act, which is that there is an assumption of access, but in certain exceptional circumstances not. That's what the Equality Act says. Mm -hmm. That is precisely what our commitment is. But can I also say on this debate, because it's becoming such an extremely difficult debate, the trans community is one of the most discriminated against anywhere in the country. Bollocks. Country. We have debates. There yeah. are very, very few trans voices in our media to give their perspective. We have very few trans voices in the media. These fucking lunatics want every, whether it be public or private, they want every pl place of work, every place of learning. They want every board, every authority to have representation from all of these 
identity groups that, you know, that they never shut up talking about. You know, how many trans women have you got in your company? Well, you better start putting some trans women in your company then. How many lesbians do you have on your board of directors? You don't have any? Well, that's not going to play too well when it comes to, you know, when it comes to the allocation of funds and funding and, and, and sponsorship. You better do something about that. This is insane stuff, this. My friend and colleague, Jean Ann Crowley, has just said to me, this is misogyny on steroids. It is. You have two men, two idiots, a senior Labour Party politician and a senior BBC presenter talking about the rights of men who believe they are women to take the place of real women in society and to put women in positions of, of unease and distress if they feel like it. It's exactly 25 minutes past the hour. On that, you probably heard this by now, but I was away yesterday at the Labour Party conference on Sunday last. Listen to Mark Ferguson, a member of Labour's National Executive Committee. He's chairing a debate on housing and transport in the main hall. He's chairing the debate now. And he had this to say. I am going to use this opportunity to ask for more speakers, but before anyone puts their hands up, I am aware, sitting here, one, it is very difficult to see all of you. There are very bright lights, which you can't really see when you sat down there. And two, the people putting their hands up do not reflect the diversity of the people in this hall, and that is very clear to me. I am afraid, and I'm not speaking from a position of particular strength here, there are too many white men putting their hands up. <laughs> There are too many white men putting their hands up to participate in the debate. I, I am not anti-white men. Some of my favourite people, my dad's a white man. But I do not want white men to exclusively dominate this or any other debate at this conference. And following on from my comrade in the chair this morning, I do wish to see the diversity of the hall reflected. I'm not putting anybody on the spot here, but... If you want to speak, do not be afraid to put your hand up. We want to hear from you. This is an inclusive conference. Hands up now, please, bearing that in mind. Thank you. It's all a bit mad, isn't it? 27 minutes past five. My name is Richie Allen. Welcome to your Richie Allen radio show. Johan Tengra, we're off to India next. Don't forget a bit later on, Charlie Robinson returns to the Richie Allen show. Live from Salford, welcome to it. Looking in your eyes, I see a... 27 minutes to the top of the air. Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, speaking on this programme last week about COVID-19, said that the Indian government was ploughing through COVID and the build-up of COVID patients in hospitals and was doing that and was defeating it using ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Now, Paul may very well have been right, but things have changed in India. To talk about that, let's welcome back to the programme, terrific journalist and broadcaster. Let's welcome back Johan Tengra. Johan, you're very welcome back. How are you? 
Hey, Richie. Great to be on, man. Pleasure oh, to be with you again. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. My pleasure. Thanks for doing it, uh, Johan. I know you're really, really busy there. Now, you've written a couple of brilliant articles on this and you've directed me uh, to other resources there in India that are saying that up to a point, the government there was pushing or was allowing the use of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID. But that's changed. And you've also been finding out and, and, and researching into how many of the people, many of those who make the who, who make health policy for your country are in bed with Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation and others. Tell us about that, Johan. Yeah, so let me back up a little bit and give you a little bit of a history of ivermectin's use in India during the first wave and the second wave. So uh, ivermectin was used very broadly in India. I mean, it, it still is actually. I'll tell you about the recent thing uh, just in a minute. But uh, since the last uh, one and a half year of the entire pandemic, a government has been giving kits which contained uh, zinc, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin and, uh, you know, an- like common antibiotics and things like that. And uh, this is what uh, was credited for kind of uh, quenching the second wave in India, especially with respect to, there's a state in India called Uttar Pradesh. And in the second wave itself, uh, although there are many reasons that kind of confounded and caused the second wave on which I've written another paper, and I don't necessarily think it was just a viral spread or something like that. But whatever the cause was of the second wave, definitely uh, ivermectin's use in the state of Uttar Pradesh as a prophylaxis uh, did help in bringing on the cases. And uh, they were aggressively testing people going door to door and whoever was having symptoms and who came positive, they were giving them, uh, you know, kits which contained vitamin C, ivermectin and stuff. And uh, they were really able to bring the cases down in, in a month, month and a half or so. Compared, contrast that with the state of Kerala out here where, uh, you know, they had very high vaccination rates, like the earlier state I mentioned, Uttar Pradesh, they had very low vaccination rates and they were really giving out ivermectin as prophylaxis. And compared to that, Kerala had really high vaccination rates, but uh, they were not really using ivermectin as a prophylaxis. And uh, recently, actually, the Kerala government removed ivermectin from its uh, recommended kind of protocol of uh, medicines as well. And the cases have been very, very high over there. Like the cases in Kerala have been on par with the United States, but Uttar Pradesh that took a totally different model with very low vaccination rates were able to bring the cases down. Now, I mean, for people who are kind of tuned into our crowd, uh, cases don't really mean much. I mean, asymptomatic cases don't mean much, but if they're symptomatic cases and they've come down, then that definitely shows that, you know, ivermectin is doing something specifically when uh, the testing is also being done aggressively in Uttar Pradesh, which was the case. So that just simply increasing the testing uh, couldn't be the factor over there or difference in testing rates couldn't be the factor because Uttar Pradesh also was testing very aggressively. So based on all that, I mean, all the work that international doctors have been doing, like Pia Cori, Tess Laurie, uh, there's a wealth of scientific evidence on ivermectin's effectiveness now. I mean, Paul Marek has also been doing great work promoting ivermectin. Uh, actually, my run-in into the ivermectin issue happened when I met uh, two fantastic lawyers out here in my city itself who live like 10 minutes away from me, uh, named Nilesh Oja and Dipali Oja. Uh, so actually what happened is during the second wave, uh, you know, Uttar Pradesh started using ivermectin as prophylaxis and another state uh, called Goa was planning to use ivermectin as prophylaxis. But then uh, some people objected, took it to court and uh, the court said that if the state wants to do it, then you come and talk to us. So in all of that uh, controversy, basically, uh, Soumya Swaminathan, who's the chief scientist of WHO, tweeted that ivermectin is not effective because, uh, you know, people in India, like states in India were using it. And even our uh, 
national bodies like icmr which is indian council of medical research they included ivermectin in the guidelines when the second wave uh, began so that's why somia gave a statement from who saying that uh, ivermectin is not effective and even merck says that it's not effective and it has safety issues and all that and then uh, that's when these lawyers actually started investigating the ivermectin issue and they figured out that this is something that's so effective like why is the who giving such uh, advice that can lead to so many deaths and that's actually causing so many deaths because on the basis of who's recommendation then a couple of states like andhra pradesh started removing ivermectin from the protocol and stuff like that so they actually sent a legal notice to the who chief scientist who swami swaminathan and that's how dipali oja got very famous like this lawyer i'm talking about she's done interviews with uh, pia kauri and tess lorry and all the ivermectin doctors abroad and it, she's done very very big interviews on youtube as well that have a lot of hits so that was my run into the issue because then i met them and i kind of confronted them in the entire uh, scamdemic research that i've been doing since the last one and a half years with uh, the testing fraud and the masks and the vaccines and like all that's wrong with that whole notion and the lockdowns being ineffective and all of that and they were mainly glued into the ivermectin issue like they they did not actually research this entire background to the pandemic which is something where like our synergies met so that that's how i met these lawyers and uh they've sent notice they sent a second notice to swami swaminathan because after they sent the first notice one of the government bodies in india actually uh, unofficially took ivermectin out from the protocol and uh, follow that up to now what's happened is our uh, central government uh, icmr as well as uh, you know like head bodies which control what uh, protocols are used in the country they recently just took out uh, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine from the national protocol recently because Re- you told yeah. me, you told me this earlier in the week you told me this last week just two days back yeah yeah just it's just been like four five days since they so this is the national task force they removed ivermectin yeah, and hydro- yeah, yeah. hydroxychloroquine from from mm. the protocol even though they know that it's effective it's not just effective it's very effective against whatever this virus might be or 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 whatever so it's doing it and you're putting it down to this intervention from the world health organization that's where it came from i think it's because uh, dipali's videos have been going very viral and uh, recently someone interviewed her who's very close to like the government out here and he has a lot of followers and a lot of people within the government follow him so we think that it's it's because her interview really blew up that there was a lot of pressure on them to you know take it out because uh, they're going really aggressively uh, towards them like recently even the article that i just drafted that i sent you exposing uh, the national task force links to the uh, gates foundation welcome trust usa world bank like all, all these globalist yeah. forces basically hey, let's uh, not let, know, let's not let's connection let, johan yeah. let's not let's not just gloss over that this is very important because this this yeah. is an excellent This is excellent journalism. The the India's COVID-19 task force. Many of these as you've described them celebrity scientists. We have them here too, these celebrities. All of a sudden in the public eye all the time. They yeah. they don't have tenuous links. They've got very strong links to the Gates Foundation, mm. to USAID, mm-hmm. to Wellcome Trust and to the Rockefeller Foundation. You mentioned the World yeah. Bank. And these organizations do not want co- ivermectin to be used anywhere, not just India, anywhere. Why yeah, yeah. E- explain that to listeners who might be new to this? Why do they not want this treatment that's very cheap and seemingly very effective? 
Why do they yeah, not want that to be used? Not, uh, it's not under patent anymore. Like the patent expired a long time back. So there's uh, the manufacturing is not uh, solely with Merck now. Like they, do, they don't have the rights anymore. Like anyone can manufacture ivermectin all over the world. So it's very cheap. It's uh, not patented. And Merck is coming out with another drug that's a competitor to uh, you know ivermectin. So there's obvious uh, interest in why they wouldn't want that you know being circulated specifically when it's effective in uh, reducing viral loads in people who have symptoms and there's there's good evidence for that as well so i think that's primarily the reason why they don't want it another reason is if they admit that there's a effective treatment to covid-19 then the entire vaccine rollout basically comes into question because uh, i mean in america at least the conformity vaccines were approved by the fda but for the rest of the world these vaccines are still under emergency use and even most of the vaccines in america also emergency use is just one that's been approved so if they actually admit that this is something that's effective then uh, you know the entire emergency use approval goes away right so there's obvious uh, conflicts because of why they wouldn't want to accept something like that. you hit the nail on the head if if people understand that ivermectin is effective now i interviewed dr tess laurie on this program i've interviewed others I can't endorse what she says. I'm not a doctor. She says ivermectin is very, very effective. I know there are many doctors in Ireland, in the States, in your country, and they say it's highly effective. I can't imagine they're lying, these people, so I tend to believe them, but yet I can't endorse it. So what you're saying is it's pretty straightforward if people understand that ivermectin is very effective and that can help, you know, in in the great majority of COVID cases well, then there isn't any need for a vaccine programme. None whatsoever. Exactly. It's yeah. as simple as that. Yeah. You're the nail on the head. And exactly. this is where we are. And tell me this, is your national media, Johan, I think I know the answer to this, but I'll ask yeah. you, is it as bad as the media here in the UK? Is it slightly better? Is it worse? Is, it's, is worse. Your, it's worse, is it? Yeah, because people really, I mean, India and this entire conversation is totally new. Like, at least in the West, you guys have been talking about this stuff for years. But uh, out here, these these concepts and stuff are very new. So it's very easy for the media to just manipulate people by fear-mongering and uh, showing, you know, old videos and trying to scare people into... And people don't really think for themselves. Like, that's the Indian mentality, mostly. I'm not painting broad brushes like there are honorable exceptions to in the population but most people just obey the state and they see the state as their parents so like whatever comes down from on high is, is like the truth for, for they most see, people they see the state as the parent it's brilliantly yeah. put and yeah. well uh, no, since we're talking about here. this idea I wanted to go into the Gates Foundation's role into the National Task Force a little bit more uh, because actually this capture of our public health uh, bodies and agencies started in 2006 when the Gates Foundation actually implanted a public-private partnership into India known as PHFI, that's the Public Health Foundation of India. It was created by this uh, Rajat Gupta who was a chairperson of McKinsey at that time. He used to work at the Gates Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation as well before. And along with the Prime Minister and a couple of other you know, people from McKinsey and Gates Foundation, they actually created this body right within the government of India and they captured our bureaucrats and they've basically been getting funding from all of these people like PATH, the Gates Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, USAID, Pfizer, uh, GlaxoSmithKline, like, uh, you know, pharmaceutical companies as well as all, all the globalist NGO complex has been funding them since then. And they've basically uh, going, they've been going around and trying to capture the public health space in India, like the education system when it comes to public health. That's where they're having a lot of influence, as well as a lot of people who are in this uh, so-called PPP, 
they are actually going and manipulating policy at the national level as well as the state levels so a lot of people who are associated with this body are then going and sitting in the task force and you know telling the the pm like the prime minister what to do when what it comes to, to lockdowns and masks and vaccines johan can so i go back a little bit can conflict. i go back a little bit this is massive this now so back in yeah. 2006 johan tengra is our guest folks um really sharp journalist uh, speaking to us live from his country uh, this evening. So go back to 2006 then. Gates got this PHFI um, set up mm. in India and it, the, the, this was a Trojan horse. This was to gain access to not not only the health service of your country, but yeah. also you know to sell it whatever it wanted to sell it and to take control over how it operated. That throws up a question that gets asked a lot and you'll have your own opinion on this. I don't know what to make of it. It's been said on this program before that mm. the Gates Foundation injured as many as 50,000. Well, excuse me. Um, the Gates Foundation, I should say, was part of a program. We can't blame the Gates Foundation on its own entirely. But apparently mm. it was part of a program that between 2010 and 2012 injured 47,000 Indian children with a polio uh, jab. What do you know about that? Because if you go online today, you'll see yeah. hundreds of claims that this is true, but you will also see full fact and, you know, you will see many other agencies declaring this to be false. What's true, Johan? What's the truth there? I have a lot to tell you about this. So I was basically just investigating this issue the entire last year. I have a lot of emails that I've backed up where I have like a lot of these reports that have been scrubbed from online. I'll tell you what happened. So actually, you, you mix two things up. So there's one controversy relating to the Gates Foundation with the oral polio vaccine out here, which is actually banned in America in 2000, but they still continue to use it out here. Yeah. So that uh, the increase in the oral polio vaccines, like the number of oral polio vaccines they gave, actually had a direct correlation with the number of uh, paralysis cases that were taking place. And uh, they basically did a big fraud. They increased the number of oral polio vaccine doses and they said that uh, like polio is eradicated because they changed the definition of polio. And uh, actually, the uh, oral polio vaccines gave the kids a twice as deadly form of polio. So they were actually able to say that, okay, polio is eradicated, but now we have a two times bigger problem. You know, that's how they kind of reported it. But they left out the, the latter fact that I told you. So that was with the oral polio vaccines. Yes, a lot of uh, kids were like around four and a half lakh. Uh, kids were uh, paralyzed because of that. What sort and, of paralysis, uh, Johan? What sort of paralysis are we talking about? How serious? That sounds like a stupid question. I don't mean how serious. But was it permanent paralysis? Twice was as it... worse. Twice as worse. It's called non-polio acute flaccid paralysis. That's what the oral polio vaccines gave them. And there was a direct correlation, and some people might say correlation, not causation. But when they actually reduced the number of doses, that uh, the numbers came down. So nice. there was a, I mean, like they intervened and removed it and then they actually saw the effect of the numbers coming down as well. And there's a scientist called Jacob Puliel, who I know personally, we're actually working on some court cases together out here. So he was the scientist that wrote this paper. I can send you the link to that if you want. So if someone wants to take a more technical read at the, the claims surrounding the oral polio vaccines uh, leading to this deadlier form of paralysis, they can take a look over there. And uh, there's another uh, controversy that you touched on, which is for the uh, HPV vaccine. The HPV that, vaccine, uh, yeah, I did. I mixed, yeah, I yeah. mixed them up, didn't I? Yeah. It's it's fifty thousand yeah. in total, but you're talking, you're talking uh, the polio, oral polio, and uh, the HPV. So were they trialing a HPV vaccine on Indian girls, or were they using one that had already been passed? I can't remember. 
No, 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 no. They didn't. It had been approved abroad yeah. in uh, foreign trials, but the the rules out here in India with respect to clinical trials are that if you are trying to you know get a vaccine out here, you have to do fresh clinical trials. And specifically, if you're giving it to kids, you need to have studies already done on adults, which are like have a huge sample size, and then you can start the trials for kids. And that wasn't done either. Over and above that, they basically flouted all the clinical trials rules in the country. What they did is they tried to position the trial as an observational study or a demonstration or something like that. When that was clearly not the case, they were doing a trial. They did not keep a register of the adverse events, so they were not reporting adverse events correctly. And all the informed consent forms were fudged. Like uh, they did not take informed consent from the children or the children's parents. Like the the schools in which they were given, the headmasters were like giving consent for all the kids over there. So all these irregularities came out. Hang on, and, so hang on. Uh, this, this is this yeah. is bombshell stuff for many of our listeners. So the yeah. head teachers, Johan, were giving yeah. consent without the knowledge of the children's parents. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Jesus wept. That's dreadful stuff, that. Can I ask you this now? I, I've got, look, it's only me. I'm only doing my job. Is there an argument to be made that Bill Gates is at the top of a big, big, massive corporation? He's got mm. underlings and then he's got underlings and they've got underlings. Is there any argument to be made that Gates can't be, obviously he shares, he takes some of the responsibility for this, but does Gates have any... Does he have any excuse at all? Can Gates say, well, look, I didn't realise what was going on there. If I'd have known that, I wouldn't have allowed that. You know, because Gates gets bashed all the time on programmes like this. I think Gates is, personally, I think he's he's somewhere between the Antichrist and I, I don't know what else, in, in terms of the things he's into. But could it be that there are other people and Gates is the fall guy? That's the point I'm making. Could Gates say, I didn't know what was going on. I, I, I didn't know. Or am I am I totally wrong there to suggest that? Actually, I, I think uh, like your as like your, your questioning is not totally unfounded because what Gates and this entire complex has done is they've set up a huge network yeah. and they've uh, you know they're they're behind f- uh, fueling these ideologies and this uh, eugenical mindset that basically passed on through. Uh, kind of subliminal eugenics. They don't call it eugenics anymore, but it's all done in the name of family control and uh, population yeah. and all of that. So I don't think that necessarily Gates is sitting there and like telling these people exactly what to do. All yeah. these people are in, in some conspiracy, but it's it's kind of more subliminal. And I mean, I I discovered this when I was working on my piece for the task force as well. That a lot of these scientists who are on the task force, they're getting funding from the Gates Foundation for all of their projects. Like there are scientists who are getting like 60-70% of their projects are funded directly by Gates Foundation. So I don't necessarily think that Gates is sitting and telling them what to say, but it's just kind of an implicit thing that, okay, if this guy is funding you and uh, his foundation is taking the stance and he's taking the stance in public, then if you're going to go against that, then... Of course, like your career is going to be threatened or your funds are going to dry up and stuff. Do you know what I've not ruled out, Johan? Here's something that I haven't ruled out. This won't go down well with my listeners, but I don't care. I, I haven't ruled this out. I haven't ruled out entirely in my mind that Gates isn't just a front man and that on some level, I'm not trying to give this guy a pass now, I'm not, but on some level, Gates might actually believe that this is the right thing to do, that he is some sort of saviour and that he, using the billions and trillions of dollars at his disposal, that he can eradicate some of the world's biggest health problems and that because he is that way inclined, that he is a perfect frontman then 
for others who have a much more malevolent outlook and who do want to reduce the population greatly and who do want to bring in a post-human, transhumanist world. I, look, I, I'm, I could be talking complete nonsense, but I haven't entirely ruled out that Gates is just a useful idiot. You know, that he... That, I, you what, know, what do you think? I mean, like, the, the more I've looked into this and, like, I mean, researching the landscape out here in my country with uh, the kind of influence that he has, I, I think that uh, Gates does very well know, like, what he's doing because uh, if you see, like, I mean, just with my experience with how the deaths after vaccines are classified, like Bill Gates and all these uh, vaccine manufacturers have had a huge sway in actually changing the guidelines uh, after which we decide that deaths happen because of vaccines. So I would think that if he was sitting in a position over there and he actually thought that vaccines are safe and effective and all of that, then, uh, you know, at least the, the guidelines would be appropriate so that if there are any deaths happening post-vaccination, then, you know, there would be a red flag. But because of the way these guidelines are structured and Gates and the entire pharmaceutical lobby have played a role in changing them, uh, because of that, no deaths get attributed to vaccines now. They say that these deaths aren't causal if deaths are happening post-vaccination. It's not causal. So that that does definitely, and I mean, along with that, a lot of things he's involved in. Whether he thinks that uh, all this population control stuff is genuinely to help people, uh, you know, that's anyone's guess. I don't, I don't think so. I think he does know, like, especially since the Rockefeller Foundation and the Gates Foundation have a lot of common interests, specifically with Gates' yeah, background, with, yeah, absolutely. Uh, IBM and all of that. So, uh, like I said, like I said, I could be, together. like I said, I could be yeah. talking through my backside, Johan, which I do a lot. It, it's just that, you know, in the global power structure, Gates is not yeah. even near the top of the pyramid. He isn't. He's somewhere. I agree. With you. Yeah, and yeah, and you know, course. look, I'm talking rubbish, right? Look, I agree. I, 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 I'm bowing to. Uh, to, to to your greater knowledge, yes, he's obviously incredibly sinister. Yes, he must know the harm that these jabs have done in India and in Africa. Let's let's not forget and elsewhere. And he must be aware that Gardasil has been catastrophic for hundreds of thousands of girls around the world. Johan Tengra is our guest, a journalist based in India, in his home country. And we've got a fabulously uh, vibrant line to you tonight, Johan. Great to have you on the programme. We've got about five or six minutes left on, 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 on this, uh, in this conversation today. So you've brilliantly been able to knit together the strands of how Gates's organisations have infiltrated your government to the heart of the government and have basically taken control of public health in India. And that's obviously yeah. disastrous for Indian people. This is, again, going to sound like a very general question. What can you do about any of that? I mean, you mentioned not only are you covering court cases there, but you're involved in court cases. Can you trust the judicial system in your country, do you think? I wouldn't before I met these lawyers, you know, <laughs> these these lawyers are like really like uh, they're real mavericks in terms of the understanding of the law and understanding of the legal system out here. Because that's the first question I had when I went there. It's like if we go and do a case, but then you give your, you give them all your case laws and your arguments, but the judge still has a lot of money that's paid to him. So he doesn't listen to you. Then what? So he was like, no, there are provisions that are there in the IPC where we can throw these judges in jail and this has happened in the past. And he himself was involved in putting a lot of cops behind bars and putting judges, like getting judges uh, down from their posts and stuff. So, I mean, that's the kind of confidence I got when I met uh, this lawyer. His name is Nilesh Oja and his wife is Dipali Oja, who, as I said, was 
has gone pretty famous on the internet for the ivermectin and get sending a notice to who and all of that right so these lawyers are very talented and they they really know the law well like uh, nilesh has written entire books on how to prosecute judges and how to put cops behind bars and stuff like that so what what we're doing now is uh, based on this report that i just sent you and along with a lot of other evidence that we've been collecting regarding the fraud of asymptomatic transmission and uh, you know the vaccines having serious side effects and deaths and a lot of you know the masks and the lockdowns and all of that evidence we basically just sent a legal notice to the health minister out here asking him to just sack these people who have conflicts from the task force and uh, she like start prosecution against them for basically playing with the lives of so many people and if they don't take action on this notice in a couple of days then we're going to move the supreme court with that so as of now like we've done a lot of cases like there's a case under my name that uh, we did against uh, this vaccination for trains like they basically made it mandatory for people who want to use the local trains out here to get vaccinated so i've just challenged that in court that's going to come up soon in a week or two uh, and uh, we have a lot of other legal action that's been taking place at the supreme court as well as at the high court and there's a lot of foul play like you said like there's already a lot of foul play from the judges like they basically just keep delaying the days the cases don't come up uh, I worked on a big case uh, in this at the Supreme Court which uh, actually we filed like 5 months back but uh, believe it or not it's still not come up for hearing in the Supreme Court. Right. And I mean, I, I actually if uh, this lawyer was working on that case then uh, he would have done something to get it but because the other lawyer who actually worked with us is a little ca- he's not too aggressive you know so he doesn't want to kind of there's a lot you can do if they don't take up your case you can send complaints to the president officially and you know they you can do you can do things but you have to be aggressive for that and a lot of lawyers out here have this attitude to kind of uh, be subservient to the judges and right. treat them with a lot of respect and, and you're all. doing so, you're doing all of this yeah. and at the same time you're trying to you're trying to give your fellow countrymen and women another perspective on the the scamdemic you're doing all of yeah. that at the same time and you're you're having the same difficulty or the same difficulties that we're having here. People are, mm. you, you said, you, you put it brilliantly earlier on, people want the state to be their parent, and we're seeing that here. Johan, we've got about 90 seconds left. Thanks for coming back. I hope you come back soon for a longer segment so we can get yes. into more of these issues about India because it's very important what's happening in your country, uh, particularly with climate change and other issues as well. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I think it's important that people get to know what actually happened with those trials in 2007 that actually made a big controversy because that's very relevant to the piece that I just wrote on the task force because the committee that's like the organization that set up the task force was involved with colluding with PATH and the Gates Foundation back then and uh, they were actually prosecuted by the parliamentary committee like uh, the NGO that conducted those trials and the Gates Foundation was prosecuted by the parliamentary committee but no action was taken so hopefully we can cover that next time No, no definitely no let's do that let's do it and we'll have a longer segment I really want to get into what was going on in 2007 mm-hmm. you said that Gates basically got his hooks into the country in 2006 there's a lot to be told in that story I'd love to get into it Johan thanks for coming back today I, with your permission I will post your excellent article on my website tomorrow so people can read it there but um to, to be and, and I'll put a link of course I'll put a link so that they can uh go to the to the site where it was originally posted thanks for your time today my friend brilliant work really appreciate it thank you. thank you so much man thanks See, johan cheers. speak soon johan tangra journalist in india
Ah, technology is great, isn't it? It's just gone six o'clock, by the way. I will post that link somewhere later on. I'll post it on the website. Let me read a couple of your comments, by the way, on my on, on my comment. <laughs> You're not happy. Uh, James says, are you trying to do, uh, outdo, are you trying to outdo the Ginger Ninja with a stupid question, Richie? Gates is on the record saying the best way to reduce the population is via vaccination. Yes, James, but it could be argued. Whatever Gates is, and I have no time for Bill Gates or his foundation, it could be argued that what Gates was saying when he talked about vaccination as a way of dealing with overpopulation, he wasn't flatly saying, if we vaccinate people, we'll kill them or we'll make them sterile. What he was actually saying, it could be argued, is that where in certain parts of the world where, where mortality, where infant mortality is high, Okay, because of poverty and sanitation and many other issues, hunger. It could be argued that he was saying, if you eradicate some of these diseases that kill children, then families don't need to be so big. Mum and dad don't need to have six or seven children. Two will do. It could be argued. Okay, William says, nobody agrees with me. That's a good thing. And I'm not saying I believe that Gates is innocent. Not in a million years. I was putting it out there. What if Gates, we know that Gates is a puppet of sorts, right? Gates isn't running anything. He's the public face of something. As Klaus Schwab is the public face of Build Back Better. But the people really pulling those strings, it's been my experience, or at least it's my contention. It's my experience and it's my contention that you never know who these people are. These people's names are never uttered publicly. So Gates is a is is a gatekeeper of sorts, is he? No pun intended. But is he aware of it? These are the questions that fascinate me. You know, there would be no better stooge. I believe there is a depopulation programme. I believe there is a transhumanist programme. A programme to turn the planet into an open-air prison where life won't be worth living for you and me. I believe that. I've seen the evidence of it. I'm fascinated about the characters playing it out. What do they know? What do they do? Some, most of you seem to think that Gates is totally on board, totally understands what's going on. Fair enough. Fair enough, you might be right. I was just putting the an alternate point of view, an alternative point of view out there. William says, we, Billy Rockefeller, Gates, is just the face of the pandemic, or the pandemic. His masters are the ones pulling the strings, but don't for one second think that he doesn't know the score, says William. Patricia says, Richie, I don't understand how you can have any doubt at all about what kind of person Bill Gates is. I don't have any doubt at all. Gates is somebody with who displays the traits of somebody who's sociopathic, who's psychotic, somebody, somebody devoid of empathy. Acute narcissism. Of course, I don't have any time for him. Listen to what's being said, people. Don't just hear five words of a sentence and then jump in with two feet. Don't be like that. Think. Listen. Think. When you listen, your palms get sweaty. Listen. Listen to every word of it. I've described the agenda. Many of you wouldn't know anything about the agenda if it wasn't for this programme. By the way, over the years, and the guests who've come on to talk about it, I'm asking a question. What if this guy believes his own bullshit? What if he's committed to it? I'm not saying it's the truth. I'm saying, what if? Who knows? 
I'll never know because I'll never get to speak to him, will I? Tim in Brazil says, Richie, megalomania is a characteristic of psychopathy and sociopathy, as well as schizophrenia. There's no get-out-of-jail card, uh, no get-out-of-jail-free card for Gates. Fair enough. Look, you, you might very well be right. Joan says, no way is Billy any kind of useful idiot. He was friends with Epstein. He is the bloody devil. He laughs when he talks about vaccines, death, etc. He's beyond evil, says Joan. Thank you, Joan. Craig says, I would agree with you, Richie. Many of those in the World Economic Forum, for example, do seem to have saviour complexes. Just look at Bono. Yes, that's an argument, Craig. It's kind of the argument I was making, and you understood it. Doesn't mean we think it's the truth, we, that, that Gates is some somebody who really believes, really feels that he's doing good. It's just out there as a possibility. I'm going to move on very quickly because my next guest is standing by and waiting patiently to speak with us. And he is Charlie Robinson, an author and uh, the presenter of the brilliant Macro Aggressions podcast as well. Six minutes past six o'clock, Tuesday's Richie Allen Show, the 28th of September 2021. This is M People and Heather Small. Heather Small, listen, I'm I'm in a minority of one, you're all telling me, and loudly as well. Richie Gates is the devil incarnate. He is the Antichrist. <laughs> he might very well be, I'm not going to argue with you. You just don't know, do you, with these people? What they know, what they don't know, you know. Useful idiot is an important term, I think. You know, anywho, it's... A real pleasure to welcome back to the programme my next guest. He is the author of, uh, well, a couple of excellent books uh, and also the host of the Macro Aggressions podcast, which you can, which you can catch on the iconic uh, platform. Check him out at theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. I'm sure you've read The Octopus of Global Control. 2017, terrific book. He also wrote The Controlled Demolition of the American Empire. He co-wrote that with Jeff Berwick. And he's got a brand new book out. And he was very kind in sending me an advanced copy. And I've read about a third of it. It's very, 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 very good. It's also very funny. Pleasantly funny, in part. It's a hypocrazy or hypocrazy Surviving in a world of cultural double standards. Let's welcome back to the programme, uh, my friend and yours, the great Charlie Robinson. Charlie, you're welcome back. How are you? Oh, Richie, it's always good to talk to you. How are things going in your neck of the woods? Ah, hanging on in there. I have the COVID. I don't really. I have a bit of a heavy head and a bit of a heavy chest. But no, I'm fine, uh, Charlie. And I've got to ask you straight up, um, because... The book is, what I've read of the book, it's great. I'm enjoying it. I wouldn't say that if it, if it wasn't true. Hypocrazy or hypocrisy. I like hypocrisy. It really is terrific. How should I pronounce it? Well, I've been pr- pronouncing it hypocrisy. Yeah. Just like the word hypocrisy, but I just changed the last word to crazy because that's what we're living in. And the 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 artwork on the cover of the book is Uncle Sam in a straight jacket yeah. in some mental institution. And I think that that's probably the most accurate representation of where we are, at least here in the United States. Although I've been, I'm on Twitter as well. So I see what's happening. And uh, uh, at least we're just putting the, you know, we're in the mental institution here in the U S I mean, what's happening in Australia is terrifying. They're, they're, they're in Guantanamo Bay over there. So I guess it could get worse, but I tried to have some fun 
with the insanity that we're seeing. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's always a sort of a, de a delicate dance between between trying to talk about these really important topics and giving them the you know, the, the, the treatment that they deserve, but at the same time, like you have to kind of laugh at the insanity. And if you're not, if you're not laughing, you might be crying. So I feel that, you know, if we can find a way to kind of, kind of, if I can keep you laughing through this book at some of the weirdness that we've been experiencing, you'll, you'll understand, you'll keep you hanging in there a little bit longer. So you, so you're not in tears, you know, crying. Uh, once you get to the part when we start talking about the government and we get into wars and things like that, um, it gets to it gets to be a bit dark, but but I find that if we if we have a little bit of fun with it, and 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 of course not trying to be disrespectful to anybody that's that's suffering through this, which I would suggest is really probably all of us on some level, but but to just kind of have that take that John Stewart approach, the way he did with the Daily Show, which yeah. is take serious topics and talk about them in a way that is a little bit lighthearted and that it'll keep the normies in there, you know, laughing at the absurdity of it all, while at the same time trying to get across a, a real serious message. You've done a brilliant job of it. From what I've read, you're right, by the way. You are absolutely right. You've got more chance of showing somebody how completely ridiculous a situation is and even their belief in it. You've got more chance of challenging their belief in it if you hold it up to ridicule and you can do that in, in, a, in a very funny way rather than beat them over the head and tell them they're wrong. You're so right, yeah. Charlie. And I don't know. Well, I've done that, Richie. You, I've done, done it, that yeah. the wrong way. And that's kind of how I came yeah. to this. Because, listen, I'm a guy that early on in my journey through all of this madness made the mistake of bringing up 9-11 at the Thanksgiving dinner table and watching the entire <laughs> audience, you know, watching the my family turn on me. So I've learned the hard way that there's there's. There's the right time to talk to people about this. There's the right way to talk about it w with people. If you can get them laughing, then they're a little bit more disarmed. But I'll tell you what doesn't work. What doesn't work is a verbal fire hose of information directed at some poor bastard who's sitting there and you're just unloading on him about all the things that are wrong and how all this is bullshit and all, you know, all that stuff. That, though it's though it's kind of natural, you want to kind of get it all up. That doesn't work. What I have found though, is that we can, we can get these conversations going if we make it a two-way street, right? If I, instead of me just unloading on somebody and telling them how it is, why don't I ask them, Hey, what do you make of all this insanity? What do you make when you, when you watch these people getting choked out by Australian cops for not wearing their mask? Got to be about a virus, right? You know, so if, if you can come at them and get them yeah, I'm talking about the normies. We, we, you know, you, me, your audience, my audience. They, they know this stuff. We, we're in a in a certain aspect. We're preaching to the choir, but for everyone that's sort of on the fence or isn't really maybe just starting to wake up about all of this, what I've found is the best way to deal with those people is ask them a question. Hey, what do you make of this? <laughs> You're seeing the same things on Twitter I'm seeing. What do you think? And it gets them thinking, well, I don't know. I've never stopped to think about that. And that's really what I'm, I'm trying to do, whether it's this book, whether it's macroaggressions, whether it's the other books. I, I just want people to start thinking about this and not just blindly taking the information presented to them by their mainstream media, putting that in their brain, and then going out about their lives with some assumption that that's the truth. It's not the truth. You've never questioned it. 
start questioning these things. So I, I do that in a, I mean, listen, I can be as vicious as the next guy when it comes to this stuff, but I've decided that my approach is going to be Let's have some fun with the insanity. Let's wake people up. Uh, let's get them. We'll ask them a couple questions about this and see if they don't see that the world is as insane as I see it. You paint a very surreal picture in the book, which is brilliant. You, you know, this this notion of so we, we're all in. Well, maybe we're not, but people are in identity groups. Increasingly, people are in identity groups. They they put themselves into identity groups. They sign up for not literally, but metaphorically sign up to be in an identity group. And that group has a worldview on any given subject. And you brilliantly lampoon in the book the fact that, so you're in an identity group, and it might be the green movement. And they're telling you that we're all going to die in 15 years time or 20 years time if we don't prevent the average temperature of the planet rising by a factor of uh, 2.5 degrees or whatever it is. And you brilliantly highlight how these people are incapable, even though it's in their faces, that those people telling them, this is what you need to think about climate change, are themselves like, you, you made me laugh out loud, Al Gore's got a swimming pool, that it would heat 14 homes, I think, yeah. or something like this. <laughs> I mean, this stuff, this stuff is out there. But if you're so wedded to an idea, if you're so wedded to a cause because you've succumbed to identity politics, you can't see the blatant hypocrisy in your face. Yeah. And that's, it's very funny that it's really clever in the book. Well, well, I had some, you know, you got to have some fun with these people. Like, like as an example, the celebrities, you know, who does we, we're a celebrity <laughs> culture here and especially in the United States, and we here. get very, you know, interested in what our people are doing. And, and Leonardo DiCaprio though, look, I, you know, great actor, you know, he, he's, 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 he's talented for sure has partnered up with a lot of these environmental groups with the United Nations and, and, and he's doing his part, right? He's going to, he's going to fix the world. He's going to yeah. save the world, especially from climate change, which is, which as you know, Richie is going to kill us all probably tomorrow. Yeah. And, and he's out there and he's, he's giving these speeches and he's doing these impassioned talks and he's winning awards because he's so good at this. But what the the problem is, it's not, it's not that like we can, we can kind of deal with that. But when you get in a private jet and you fly 14 hours to accept an award documented, an <laughs> award for your climate activism, it's just kind of tough to take you seriously from that point on. You know, and so and he's also, you know, listen, if I had, you know, a hundred million dollars and I was single, maybe I would rent the fifth largest yacht in the world and 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 you know, go around the 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 uh, Adriatic with Victoria's Secrets models, which Leonardo DiCaprio was doing. His right to do it. Good, good for good him, man, right? Man, like I a say. bunch of us are nodding our heads going, hey, yeah. listen, I can't fault him for that. <laughs> I don't. Where I fault him is for getting off that yacht and going to Davos and getting in front of cameras and microphones and then talking to me about how I need to lower my carbon footprint or the world is going to end. It's just the hypocrisy, be it the Al Gore's of the world or, or Leo. And these are low hanging fruit. Like we could take shots at these. I, I, the hardest problem I had with the book was, was cutting out all the stuff to not put in it because the book writes itself. When you start trying to document all of these people uh, saying one thing and doing another, especially when it comes to things like, like COVID or it comes to um, the environment. So it's just a, it's an easy way, but I think that it, it kind of puts it in, perspective when you see this you kind of go oh yeah that's right wait why am i taking my 
climate activism advice from Leonardo DiCaprio of all people or Greta Thunberg for that matter. I mean, so, so we, we need to reassess our relationship with, um, with people in positions of authority with, with the media, with celebrities, all these people, all these things have kind of led us down this path where we've, we've changed our prioritization. We're, we're now prioritizing some of the least important things at the expense of the most important things. And really all I'm doing is shining a light on that. Brilliant. Give us an example of the the things we're not focusing on and us as a collective. <laughs> well, give us let, one example. Well, let me the give you an example of, of what we are focusing on in Congress in the United States. Now, what we could be focusing on is a variety of things. I would suggest almost all of them more important than this. But recently, in the United States House of Representatives, they have issued a new list of all of the words, the terms, that are now banned under House rules. You cannot say these words in Congress. They're very important words. They will make you feel very angry. So we cannot have you say them in Congress. Here's what they are. Father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, first cousin, nephew, niece, husband, wife, father-in-law, mother-in-law, son, daughter, daughter-in-law, brother-in-law, stepfather, stepfather. Richie, we can't say these words because, <laughs> you know, uh, science, literature, I don't know. I'm not really, I'm not really they're sure. They're not gender oh. neutral. They're not gender, gender, gender neutral terms. Neutral. Yeah, that's right. That's what it is. I knew yeah. it was something. Oh, there's 53 genders on, on Facebook, you know, and if you were to uh, misgender somebody, well, they might just throw you right off of that whole platform. And you say 53. The BBC did a film last year. You'll be aware of this. Well, it, it was part of a film that was supposedly going to be sent to schools in this part of the world. And it declared that there was more than 100 genders oh, that well, you might yeah. potentially be. You see, and you take this apart brilliantly in the book. And it's hilarious. And it isn't. <laughs> it's hilarious right. to read it, but it isn't because we we before you came on, you probably didn't hear this. You've got your own job and your own shows to produce. We had a situation this morning where a BBC presenter on national BBC radio um, berated a Labour Party politician because the Labour Party politician wasn't giving him the answer that he wanted, that a man with a penis, no, a woman with a penis is a woman in every sense of the word, isn't it? Isn't it, Charlie? A woman with a <laughs> penis is a woman in every sense of the word. And he eventually got the answer from the Labour Party politician that he wanted, and that is, yes, that's right, a woman with a penis is a woman, if he says she is, or, or whatever. So we laugh out loud at it, and you lampoon it and send it up, and it's hilarious. But it's happening. Well it is happening and it's insanity masquerading as politeness, right? So it's like you, you, you don't, I, I understand. Well, maybe I understand where they could be coming from, which is, listen, we don't want you to hurt somebody's feelings who may look like they're one gender, but they're maybe another gender. We don't want you to hurt their feelings. So don't do so. Don't call them something that's going to hurt their feelings. Okay. Okay. Fine. <laughs> like I don't need the government to tell me that. I'm not going to be a jerk to somebody that's not being a jerk to me. Yeah. But when when Facebook lists all of the genders, and they don't make any sense. And by the way, in the book, there's a list of every single one of them. Now I get it. And and you know some of you know there 
some are more popular than others, but but I don't know what the difference is between between trans male and trans man and trans person and trans woman. I mean, there's so there they even have the same there's overlapping names. So what my point is that if this was a Venn diagram, it would be the most screwy looking <laughs> Venn diagram of all times because you wouldn't even know how to link it all up because the, the terminology doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, listen, I'll take the most. You know, the, the 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 hardcore most leftist person you can find gun to their head, ask them, what is the answer to this question? Tell me in clear terms to please define what two spirit means as a gender Two spirit. That's your gender. What does that mean? Nobody can tell you because there is no answer to this. It's made up. It's 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 narcissistic. Uh, personality traits coming through and saying, well, I'm going to do something important. Richie, I'm going to do something important. I'm going to, I'm going to create a new gender yeah. for myself. Right. And what I've, what I've realized, and this is a, a strange trait, but it's one that's pretty obvious too, is that the, the left, and I mean like the, the loony left, the real hardcore left, they have some sort of obsession with labeling themselves. Yes. They want to be labeled. They've swallowed I, identity politics. They've embraced identity politics. Identity politics has been with us since Moses was in short trousers. But for many years, it was, I don't know, for, for, for many generations, it was a thing, but it didn't have the prominence it has now. You're right. Now, now people are adopting identities willingly and then weaponizing those identities. Again, yeah. you, you, you described this brilliantly in the book, which I've got to give it a mention, Charlie. You are you are paying me seventeen and a half thousand dollars to plug the book in That's this segment true. of the program. If only God, we'd have a few Guinnesses on seventeen and a half thousand dollars. Um, the <laughs> yes, book is just in case there's some lunatic who believes that he's not giving me anything. I read the book and I think it's excellent. Or I'm halfway through the book. Hypocrisy, uh, surviving in a world of cultural double standards. Brand new from Charlie Robinson. Charlie's our guest, the host of the Macroaggressions podcast as well, which is always funny and interesting and entertaining and full of information you don't get anywhere else. They're weaponizing the identities that they've adopted. They're using them to um, initially to silence and to obliterate from their field of vision or obscure from their field, uh, field of vision anything they don't like. But it's getting worse and worse and worse, Charlie. And you're right, yeah. it's on. Look, I'm an old socialist. I don't get offended by anything. Nothing offends me. So I'm not offended by you describing these people as left, lefty people. But no. I don't recognise them as left, left-wing people. The, the, the left would never have tolerated this insanity, Charlie. Oh, no, 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 not at all. And I was and I was more on the left, too. I was, one, you know, more libertarian, like, do, you know, leave me alone. I'm going to do what I want to do. You do what you want to do. But the problem is that the busybodies in, in, in especially in the left, but not exclusively, um, they've been given a new task in, in the last 18 months and it's saving the world, right? They've been told to stay home. Yeah. They've been told that, that, you know, they have to help out. They don't have much purpose in their lives. Normally they're not doing anything of, of, of much interest. And yet here we are, we've got this new job for you. If you choose to accept it, we're going to need you to be the policers of people that I don't know, are not doing what the government tells them to do. So what's happened recently, um, is that the, the left has taken on this, um, They've been deputized, in a sense, by by the by the authoritarians uh, in, in be this the covid 
crowd or, or, or whoever, but they've been deputized and, and given a mission to save the world. Finally, they're, they're, they're true calling in life. They're going to save the world. And how are they going to do that? Well, they're going to call the police on you if there are too many cars in your driveway on Thanksgiving because you might be having too much fun. I mean, you might be having a super spreader event and that would be against the law for them. And so they have, so, so what we've done on top of this, and it would be one thing if the loony left was just hilarious and just funny to watch and, and make fun of for all of their genders and the pronouns and all, and all that good stuff. But, but it's, it's morphed over the last 18 months. It's turned into something much worse where these people not, you know, we can't just laugh at them and mock them from the bleachers anymore. We now have to keep an eye on them because they're a, what we've discovered. And I think Zuby made this point great because I put it in the conclusion of the book when Zuby came out with these 20 things I've noticed during the pandemic that, that about society. And one of them is that, that there is a large segment of the co of the population that are closeted authoritarians and that's what what we've seen over this the last 18 months especially has been they've they've been activated uh, they, uh, they, this is well, well said you, you've answered my next question were they always there i suppose they were always dormant. there yeah, yeah dormant, dormant yeah. authoritarians waiting for activations like those cicadas that crawl into the hole and bury themselves yeah. for 17 years and then they all get activated and they come up and they and they're like a, a swarm and you're like what is going on here well that's kind of like the loony left they've been they've all gotten the message on their phone on you know ding 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 it's like okay it's time to go put on my superhero costume i'm going to go out and yell at somebody for not wearing the proper number of masks while walking their dog. Charlie, the Charlie, you know what, I mean? so, what, what, have you, no, I've not got so far in the book to find out. Have you, whether in the book or not, have you in your own daily life, have you wondered why there may be dormant authoritarians? Is it, is it the case that some people are born with a, not born with a craving, but they develop a craving to be, controlled to be micromanaged yeah there are there are a lot of people that this is an embarrassing realization as all of us are human beings presumably maybe some people in the royal family are listening to this show i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to you know but, you but, but know. We, we, we've discovered that there is a segment of us in the human race that like being told what to do that actually need to be told what to do and and that is unusual for somebody well it's unusual for for people like us who we don't really need to be told what to do we don't appreciate being told what to do you know if we're wrong and we're doing something wrong and someone corrects us we're we're obviously reasonable people but but there are a lot of a lot of human beings out there that need their television or their government or Dr Fauci or Matt Hancock or whoever to tell them how to feel and tell them what to think and tell them what to do. It makes their lives a lot easier. So I, I've I've been disappointed in that segment of the population. But I, I I believe that you know maybe they'll you know we're all we've all probably been there at some point. You know when when you're you're growing up you're told what to do and and some of us break out of that. Some of us wake up to it. Some of us don't appreciate it. And so there's still a segment that 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 needs to be funneled. They need to be herded. You know, they are the sheep. And and I don't mean that necessarily in a derogatory way, but 
Well, well, I guess maybe I do for, for a certain segment of those sheep. I get it. We're all sort of in some form of awakening. So I'm trying to be compassionate and I'm trying to do what I can to wake those people up. But the problem is the sheep are, are, are trying to bite me, you know, for waking them up to this. So I'm not going to I'm not going to mess with them. I'm just going to say, well, you know what? You guys figure it out if you figure it out. But um, I've been I've been simultaneously disappointed with a segment of the population for being so sheep-like, and then I've been uh, I've I've got a bit of enthusiasm for a select segment of the population that have realized, hey, wait a second, I'm not tolerating this. I'm standing up for myself. I'm going to get out there and do what I what I feel is right, whether that's marching, whether that's going to some school board meeting and and letting everybody know how you feel. We're starting to see those videos, people. You know, so there, there's a segment of us that are uh, standing up for ourselves. And that, to me, is is amazing to see. It is. Charlie Robinson is our guest. Brilliantly described there. You've described those who are, are I won't say enjoying, but they're happy for this lurch towards authoritarianism. They're happy with it. I I kind of don't blame them. I want to blame them. And I want to get involved with them and, and I, I don't mean shout at them but you know speak to them and then that passed and now I don't I kind of don't blame them that segment that, that you described they don't know any different and they've been programmed incessantly why is yeah. there a God is there a higher power is there a benevolent uh, 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 presence in the universe maybe there is I I I I, I I lean towards it more now, aged 46, than I did when I was 26. But those those people are what they are. And I don't... Jesus, where am I going with this? I don't think there's any moving those people. No. I don't, No, Charlie. probably not. And, 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 I'm, and I'm trying to be... Like I said, I'm trying to be compassionate. And, and, and there, there is no moving of them. I would love for them to move out of the way, but I get it. Everyone wakes up at their own pace. Maybe they do, you know, so, so like for me, nine 11 was the big wake up call, right? It didn't happen on the morning of September 11th. It happened, you know, two, two years afterwards. It started to make sense to me. And I'm wondering, Richie, if, if COVID in the, the authoritarian lockdowns and the, the in incongruent demands of people, you know, like not matching up with the actual level of risk, I'm wondering if that's going to wake a segment of these sheep people up in the next couple of years, the way 9-11 woke me up. I hope it does. Maybe it will. But but this is kind of um, where we are. We've got a, a, a large mass of people kind of standing around waiting to be told what to do. And you've got another segment that feels like they've been activated and, and they're in a position that they're going to they're now going to go be the 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 brown shirts. And they're going to they're going to go, you know, round up all the anti-vaxxers and get them all thinking the same way. And if you you know, if you don't get the shot, then then you don't deserve health care. And I hope you die and blah, blah, blah. And there's all of this. How far, Charlie, happening. Charlie, how far do you think that will go? Like you're touching there now on a again, a progression towards mandating the jabs in Scotland from Friday. No nightclubs, no venues, no large venues, no music concerts, no football, no so- no soccer, unless you can prove you've been double jabbed. Hasn't come in in England or Wales yet, but it will do. It's inevitable this winter. Yeah. Um, how nasty might it get, the, the coercion, to try and get every one of us, every last one of us to have one of these jabs? Well, it's probably going to get 
worse before it gets any better. But I would just ask, this is the question I, I will ask to the people that are blissfully ignorant about this. You know, your government spends a disproportionate amount of time trying to figure out ways they can screw you over, right? They want to tax you more. They want to take away your freedoms. They want to give you less of what is yours. They want to take more for themselves. They're constantly mismanaged. We've got the worst people in, uh, rise to positions of power. The government is completely ineffective. We start indiscriminate wars. They're, they're the worst group of people and they spend a lot of their time trying to figure out ways to make your life worse. With that information known and established, don't you find it a little bit suspicious that that same government cares so much about your health all of a sudden? Yeah. You know, they they didn't they don't care about you normally. Uh, it's not their job to take care of you. I mean, they don't. You know, cigarettes are legal. Alcohol is legal. Uh, McDonald's is legal. All these things are potentially dangerous in excess, right? So. We, we, we're allowed to to participate in this, but if you don't want the experimental medicine, they're going to try and take away everything from you. And I just asked the, the the people that are maybe on the fence about this, just question that for a second. Why do you think that is? The government that doesn't trust you, that you don't trust them, you have a toxic and and abusive relationship with your government, but all of a sudden they want to know everything about your medical history. I just find that to be extremely suspicious. And I think anybody that that doesn't see that, um, once again, back to the Zuby thing, when he put out the, the, the 20 things that he noticed, one of the things that he noticed is that the majority of people would rather be in the majority than be correct. Yeah, and I thought, yeah, wow, yeah. what an insight. That's so true. Because as long as you're in the herd, like this might go down to like a psychological, I mean, like, like deep into our brain chemistry, but as long as you're in the herd, theoretically you're protected. I mean, the, the wolves can pick off a couple of the sheep, but they're statistically, they're probably not going to get you. So there's safety in this herd. So I can, I can understand it in that way. But if the herd is a herd of wolves and you're a sheep, then you're probably in the wrong herd. Charlie Robinson is our guest. We've got Charlie for another 15 minutes, uh, just short of 15 minutes. Hypocrisy is his brand new book, Surviving in a World of Cultural Double Standards. I'm about a third, somewhere between a third and a half way through. It's very funny and very relevant and there's some fantastic insights into, in, into people's behaviour, identity politics, why people act the way they do, why they're incapable of seeing the woods uh, for the trees when the, the glaring hypocrisies that Charlie talks about he's been speaking about tonight are basically put in front of their faces very funny you know what I'm going to say to you it struck me reading it it's the book that if Michael Moore had had any balls at all that's the book he would have <laughs> written and I know you I know you give him a mention I know he gets a mention in uh, in, in one of the early uh, chapters in the book yeah. but, but, but I remember watching Moore's documentaries years ago Roger and me and other documentaries and obviously being an old socialist my initial feelings my, my early feelings about Michael Moore were that I loved him I thought fantastic this guy's great you know and then of course Moore just became another what I I suppose our old pal or mutual pal uh, David Icke would have said um, mainstream light Mainstream light, basically. You know, Moore, I was disgusted when Moore was incredibly rude to people who asked him about September the 11th, and they were very nice people. They were saying, oh, come on, Michael, it doesn't add up. Surely you've got an opinion. 
And of course, he started calling them names, didn't he? And uh, get away from me, crazy conspiracy theorists. So I fell out with Michael Moore very quickly. But if he had any balls, he, he wrote some very funny books in the late 90s and early 2000s. And this is in no way an insult to you. You remind me of him. In that, well, that great you. sense of humor. No, I liked I liked yeah. that version of Michael Moore. And yeah, if I yeah. became stupid uh, white men and stuff like that, very good. Um, yeah, if I if if I got you know if I started making movies and got too you know and started denying nine eleven, I certainly I'd be hope that you you slap the hell we'd, out of me. We'd come and find you. I, by I, we, I, I don't know who so. we is, but no, anybody who remembers that period, you know. Yeah. Then he made Bowling for Columbine, and while that was a terrible thing, what happened at that school? And I know there are listeners of yours. Charlie's readers, and I know a lot of my listeners, they've got real problems with how these school shootings happened and the reporting of them and how they were used to bring in gun control. And I'm not completely immune to that. So don't start shouting at me, my, my dear listeners. But that was so one-sided, that documentary. And when he stitched up Charlton Heston um, at the end of it and made it out that Charlton Heston and the gun lobby were incredibly callous about Columbine and they staged a rally into town after the shooting. And that was just bullshit. And I thought, you can't do that. That's not journalism. So I fell out with Michael Moore uh, forevermore. No, the point I'm making is you've got um, th- that old Moore, you know, tongue-in-cheek sense of humour. You've got it yeah. in spades, Charlie. The only difference oh, is you have the balls to write about the issues that matter, whereas Michael Moore doesn't. So I'm recommending Hypo Crazy, uh, the book. So I... I, I it's funny you mentioned the stuff earlier on about the genders in schools. and th- Then we got on to talking about these lefties that want to save the world. And I know you touch on this in the book. Uh, what, 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 what gets me, and I was speaking to a black gentleman very recently who never heard of the Richie Allen show, like most people. And we had a chat and I was kind of feeling him out a bit and we were talking about the Black Lives Matter thing and the taking of the knee. And I gently yeah. probed him and I said... Uh, you know, all of these people, do you not get annoyed, as a black man, I said to him, that you, you have so many people telling you how you should feel, but not only that, but telling you that you need to be protected from hearing things that you might be annoyed by. I said, do you not feel that there's some kind of transference of power there, that you, if you are into Black Lives Matter, and I don't even know if you are into it, but no. that you would be given your, not, not you, Charlie, but the, the black gentleman I was speaking with, yeah. that you're actually giving away, you're ceding your power to somebody else. Do you really need to be protected from a drunken football supporter who uses the <laughs> N-word or makes a monkey noise? Do you need to be protected from that? Surely you could beat the piss out of that guy if you wanted to, or yes. you could take him down using your natural wit and your ability to speak. And the chap got where I was coming from, but he still stuck with, no, no, taking of the knee you know, is important and we really need to look at the laws in this country about what people can say. And I just felt depressed because he got it on some level that he was being disempowered somehow. But then he went, it was easier to go, and this speaks to your earlier point about it's easier to be in the majority and in the herd and to step outside of it. But that's a big thing now as well, isn't it, going forward? This, um, you know, this uh, protecting of minorities... Yeah, and it's a it's a weird fetish. It's usually white liberal women that want to protect minority communities from this um, from 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 the the negative things that they're going to get. First of all, I mean, it's like I get it. That's you're you're pro- they're probably trying to be nice and thoughtful. This is why I talk about it, it being mental illness masquerading as manners where the, you know they want it to come across as like oh I'm trying to help you out. I'm trying to help you out. Well, listen. Um 
BLM, Black Lives Matter registered trademark, that is not the same thing as the black community. We're talking about two very different operations here. The black community needs a ton of help. They need a ton of support. They've been they've been targeted. You know, people say, well, they've been targeted by the by the white community. Mm, they've been targeted by the powerful. Now, the powerful may be the white community, but it's not limited to that. And they and and I I listen. I was in at USC going to school USC in Los Angeles in 1992 when we had the Rodney King riots. It happened right. At, I'm living in South Central Los Angeles. It happened right there. Things go bad very quickly. But I remember living through that, thinking, well, you know, this is how naive I was. At, at least the good thing that came out of these riots is that we won't have to do it again, right? We'll get it out. There won't be police brutality. Everyone will be hypersensitive to it. We'll kind of get this whole riot thing out of our system and then things will change. Well, it's been 30 years. Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson have been marching the black community to fight for their rights. What have they done? Marched them in a, a circle? Because we're still back to the same place. Three decades later, we're still watching cops and, and the black community duke it out. We're watching all this horrible stuff. Of course, the black community is is angry. They should be angry. They've been targeted for a long, long time. But the solution is not for woke corporate brands and guilty, busy white people to donate money to BLM registered trademark as some sort of like, I don't know, shakedown operation. So there's, that's been hijacked. So, it, so as we like the summer of last year, when we had the pr the prime time for the black community to take center stage and for, to, you know, have a spotlight shown on the sort of injustices that are actually happening there, it gets hijacked by BLM and they come in and they start saying, well, we're going to, you know, no justice, no peace. And then you start to find out, well, your founders are all Marxists admitted one of the co-founders is on a mansion buying spree, even though you're supposed to be Marxist. The head of of the finance department for BLM, Susan, Susan Rosenberg, is a literal convicted terrorist who blew up a federal building and should would still be rotting away inside a prison cell if it wasn't for Bill Clinton pardoning her on his way out of office. So, like, we have an example of a hijacking of the black of the legitimate black complaints and the black um, uh, issues that are happening in that community by a bunch of cultural Marxists and convicted terrorists. And then they went around saying that you weren't seeing riots, you were seeing mostly peaceful yeah. protests, and the whole thing just rubbed everybody. Charlie, the wrong how, how does this system get away with constantly presenting its own opposition to? the rest of us. I, I can't figure this out. I, it's the media. It's yeah. the media. They're 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 co-conspirators in this whole thing. They're they're the ones that set up the cameras in a in a way, it, like in a literal way, where the where the angle of the camera is only on what they want you to see. Yeah. Things that are happening on the outskirts and the peripheries don't get don't get covered. It, it's about perception management, and the mainstream media has done that more so than anybody. Who they interview, how they interview, where they interview them, what the people are saying—you know—they get them in. They want to create a specific reaction, and for all their flaws, and the mainstream media has a ton of them. 
They are really good at that. Very good. They are really good at at understanding the psychology of human beings and knowing what will get them mad or will get them at least nudged in one direction or the other. And then they'll let the psychology of crowds kind of take over from that point and rile everybody up into a frenzy until you get what we had last summer, which was media representatives standing in front of burning buildings with a microphone in their hand and a camera on them. And they're saying, presumably with a straight face to the camera, that there's nothing to see here. It's mostly peaceful protests. When over their left shoulder, there is a warehouse building that is on fire. And we, the public, are just supposed to pretend that we don't see it. So it's a, it's gaslighting on a monumental scale. It's the use of the mainstream media, and it's preying on people's on, on the psychological flaws of human beings. It's it's devious and brilliant all at the same time. Fair play to you for acknowledging that the the complaints of black uh, people in the United States in certain. Uh, in, in some places more than others, but th- that they're treated like second-class citizens. Look, I used to, many years ago, I used to be very involved in anti-capital punishment groups. I would send money to convicted, you know, murderers in, in, in prisons in the States, death row, Jacksonville in Florida, um, Texas, send, you know, not a lot of money, but money for stamps and letters, and write to some of these men, and, and and women. And whatever anybody says, again, this won't suit some of my listeners, but I don't care. I, I speak my truth as far as I understand it. I knew back then, going through all of the all of the paperwork that was available, all of the statistics that were available, you know, black people were routinely sentenced far more harshly in US courts for crimes, for the exact same crimes committed by white people. If that's not an example, at least one example of how you know, you have a two-tier society. It's, um, well, well, nothing is. To me, it was clearly obvious. But look, I, I know how these things are manipulated. And I just wish, Charlie, if I had one wish, it would be that, you know, where people, I mean, we're all, th- this agenda doesn't discriminate. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't discriminate against Jews, against Christians, against Muslims, against blacks, whites, Latinos, Latinas, Chinese or Japanese. This agenda is for every single one of us. It succeeds because we kill one another and we argue on over matters of identity, which ultimately, in my opinion, don't really matter. But fair play to you for acknowledging that these things are real. I just wish that in these communities that they would see organisations like Black Lives Matter coming, that they would realise look, we've had the same bullshitters over the years, you mentioned them earlier on, Sharpton, Jesse Jackson you know, at some stage you've got to figure out that these are controlled opposition that this is the establishment manifesting itself as as a revolutionary figure when all they are, Sharpton and Jackson is, I would call them scumbags who are parasites they turn up to the funerals of a young black man who was shot dead in the streets by a police officer when he could have been tased or he could have been arrested. I totally agree with it. And all they do is parasite. And nobody achieves anything. And the merry-go-round goes around and around and around and around. We have to wake up to the fact that when you are given a choice of two, three, four, five people, that's the establishment saying, I don't give a damn who you pick. Pick any of them. Because the house wins all day long. Yeah, That's yeah. it for and, me, Charlie. And- yeah, and and one thing I want to I want to mention just we'll wrap it up with this I guess but I put it in the book I think it's important it happens in the United States 
but I, I would suggest it probably happens elsewhere. Um, they talked about this thing called the American Pie defense, and people said, "Well, I don't. What does that mean?" Well, what it means is that in for public defense attorneys in the United States, in these really low-financed um, black communities, the defense attorney has the amount of time it takes you to listen to the song American Pie by Don McLean, which is just about eight minutes yeah. in order to, that's the amount of time that that public defender has to review the case for the client that they're about to defend in court. And that obviously is disgusting and has to stop. How is that justice, Charlie? How it's is it just justice? Not. You've got the full weight of the state against you and all the resources. And I didn't know that, that you just told me that. That staggered me now. Eight minutes yeah. to review the notes. Jesus, yeah. wow. That, that's Your life is on the line, Richie. Your defense attorney has yeah. eight minutes to figure it out. That's why 96% of cases that are brought in the United States are settled. They're plead out uh, because the, the the system is is overwhelmed, and I would suggest that's not accidental. No, of course not. It's a numbers game, and of course the district attorney, the prosecuting team, to get a win to their name, and some poor sod goes to prison for ten years, and he might he he need only have served a year if he was guilty, and he probably didn't need to go to prison at all. Folks, you've been listening to Charlie Robinson. Charlie uh, presents uh, macro aggressions. Check it out, by the way. It's on the iconic platform. He's a, a great author, hypocrisy, surviving in a world of cultural double standards. Charlie, when can people buy it and where can they buy it? It's out now. It just came out a couple days ago. You can find it on Amazon in paperback and Kindle formats. If you want to buy the um, EPUB and uh, PDF digital versions, you can do that directly from me if you'd like at my website, theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. You can catch my show Macroaggressions on Iconic and Rockfin in video format or wherever podcasts are served. And you can follow me, although not probably for very much longer, on Twitter at Macroaggressions. I, I, I tend to have some fun with those people over there, but they don't like me a lot. Quick question before you go. This is a bit cheeky. Because it's none of my business, so you can tell me it's none of my business, and of course we won't fall out. Are you spiritual in any way? And do you think, or do you feel that there's a spiritual angle to this, that this goes beyond a bunch of crazy uh, men in, in the shadows transforming the way we live? Is there something else going on? I think there is. I don't pretend to understand or know the esoteric components of the COVID operation, this remaking of society, but we know that they feel it is important to them. So even if I, I, I'm spiritual in the sense that I'm trying to figure out how it all works, but even if I wasn't, even if I, if I thought that was all a bunch of hocus pocus, I would still be paying attention to it because it's important to them. And if it's important to them, then we should probably keep our eyes open because they act as if they are being instructed to behave this way at the behest of something else. And I'm curious as to what that something else is. And, um, and like anything, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a war on multiple fronts, the physical suppression of people, there's emotional suppression, uh, spiritual suppression is happening as well. It's a very, uh, I guess I would say a very demonic agenda being put forth. But then again, are we surprised? <laughs> are we really surprised once we see the cast of characters, who they are, that this agenda has the uh, has the makings of something a little bit more 
devious and maybe satanic. I'm not surprised at all. It's the same cast of characters out once again trying to convince us all to uh, participate in their insanity. But I, for one, am having none of it, and I will call them out every chance I get. The best of luck with the book. It is hypocrisy, surviving in a world of cultural double standards. Go to theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com and pick up a copy of it. I say it um, whenever we've got someone like Charlie on, you've got to support the independent media and support independent authors, broadcasters like Charlie. Thanks for your time today, pal. All the best with the book and I look forward to picking it up with you again real soon. Thanks, Charlie. Thank you, Richie. I appreciate it. Bye. Charlie Robinson, folks, live on the Richie Allen Show, Tuesday, the 28th of September, 2021. And I'm really glad my voice held up through that, through the programme. I was really worried this afternoon. I thought I'd never get through it because I'm, 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 I'm really not being feeling well at all today or yesterday. A bit worse today, but I'll be all right. I'll be all right. I ran this morning. I wrapped up what I thought I'd sweat it out of me, you know. And then you'll be there with your, oh, there's no such thing as germ theory. It's a terrain theory. I don't know what it is. But anyway, yeah, the voice just about held up. I'm glad of that. Back with you tomorrow at five. That's Wednesday. I know who's on tomorrow. I know. And I've not, as usual, I've not got diary to hand. But I know. I know who's on at the back of my mind uh, tomorrow afternoon, uh, five o'clock. That's right. Hey, listen, thanks for all the comments that came in. By the way, I was wrapped up in the chat with Charlie. Lots and lots of comments came in. Interesting comments. You you should read the comments. If you don't, you should do so. Go to richieallen.co.uk. Comment live is where to read them. It says comment live on the tab at the top. They, they usually d- delete after about two days. We've not figured out yet how to save the comments to a certain date. It's not that easy. There's only me and Hayden. And Hayden doesn't work for me. He does a lot for me. He's incredibly generous. He's not on the payroll. But um, I'll try and figure out how to do that eventually so that you can look at the comments specific to a certain show. If you happen to be listening to the podcast of it, it might be interesting. I don't know. Radio. So there you are. Big thanks to Charlie. And thanks as well to Johan Tengra, uh, who spoke uh, very eloquently on Bill Gates, the Gates Foundation, Gavi and Seppi, and how it's taken control of the public health system in the country of India. And also the evidence that Gates and his foundation were at least complicit in the injuring of tens of thousands of girls there over a oral polio jab and the HPV a vaccine as well. Really good guy is Johan. Gareth Ike actually introduced me to Johan. So thanks again to Gareth. Must um, bring Johan on more often and I must give Gareth uh, a shout and get him back on more often as well. Until tomorrow then, take care of yourselves and one another. Bye now. Bye.